Today we're going to talk about the advent of peace, the coming of the peace at the birth of Jesus Christ in the town of Bethlehem. Why is peace so important? Well, because without Jesus, there is no peace. You see, peace is not just the absence of war or conflict. It also is unity. And in the Hebrew, peace also means completeness. Do we have unity in this world? Not even close. You know it. And you know, we used to be able to to talk about things and we could agree on the facts, and then we used to be able to debate what those facts mean. But I watched the news, and we came and agree what the facts are anymore. There is no peace. But it wasn't always that way. Now, I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 9 in the New King James. So let's cue the music. Not that one. Let's go early. There we go. Perfect Bible reading music. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant in the sight to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What? We've got a perfect setting. What in the world is the tree of knowledge of good and evil doing in the middle of Eden? Have you ever wondered that question? What in the world was God thinking? I I, I look at, um, you know, I ask that question all the time. God, you were doing so good. You were doing so good. Everything was all perfect and everything was nice. And then you go and you put that tree. Why that tree? Listen, if you knew the beginning from the end, then you knew we'd eat from that tree. So what in the world were you thinking? Why couldn't it have been a plum tree? I like plums. When I was young, oranges. I love oranges. When I was younger, we used to have an avocado tree and go and pick the avocados right off the tree. And kumquats, I eat those little orange things. Sometimes I'd peel them and sometimes I'd just pop them in and eat the whole thing. Oh, they're great. And the lemon tree. Why couldn't any of these trees been in the Garden of Eden? God, you could have done that. Well, you probably did. But why did you put that other tree in there? Have you ever, have you ever wondered that question? This tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, I'm just a silly creation of yours, but even I know that's a bad idea, right? So what were you, what's wrong with you? Now, now, here's the problem, right? Adam willfully chose to eat from that tree. 
and Eve. They willfully chose to do it. And here we are blaming God for putting the tree in there. It's not God's fault. We chose to do it. They chose to do what is wrong. And yes, God knew he would, but Adam chose a sin, and that's the actual problem. And the sin was not that Adam and Eve ate from that tree. The sin was God told them not to. And they did. You see, the sin was that they disobeyed God. So why that tree? And, and please understand, don't misinterpret the name of this tree. It is not the tree of knowledge. I hear people shorten it to that. That's not what it is. You see, God wants us to have knowledge. He just doesn't want us to know evil. People say without evil, you wouldn't know good. And that's not true. God is good. And God has always existed. Good can't exist without evil. And Adam and Eve were living in a good, perfect environment. And God did not want them to know evil at all. And can I propose to you that this particular tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, was actually placed there by the mercy of God? You see, God could have told Adam and Eve any number of things. God could have told them, don't go swimming. Right? He could have told them that. And they could have gone swimming. And as soon as they went swimming, they would have sinned. We know that the wages of sin is death, and therefore, they would have earned that penalty of death. But they would have had no cognizance that they did anything wrong. They wouldn't have known there was anything that was wrong with that. They would have just sinned, and eventually they would have died. And maybe not even know why that was all about. But the fact is, God put in that, knowledge, that tree of knowledge of good and evil so that they would know that something was wrong. You see, it's when we know that something's wrong that we're inclined to seek a Savior. Now, he's been calling us all along anyway, but it's that, it's that idea of there's something going, um, something's wrong. They immediately knew that something was wrong. They perceived something they never knew existed this thing called evil. And immediately things were broken. Things were not right. They tried to hide from God. You know that never works. So God found them. This scandalous tree served its purpose when it gave sinful man the knowledge that he needed that Savior. Without knowing that, we needed saving. We never would respond to God. You see, we know that some things are not right. You don't have to be a believer to know that things are not right. God has given us that knowledge. And I'd say it's his mercy that we can reach out to him and have that eternal life. Peace was lost. But hope was not lost. Before the foundation of the world, God had planned a solution. You see, he told Adam and Eve right there in the Garden of Eden that a Savior would be born of a woman. And he would suffer. He would suffer as he personally pays the penalty for the sin of the whole world. And yet, he will triumphantly overcome our adversary, the devil. Now, this would be that kinsman redeemer that we've talked about that will be introduced future in the book of Ruth, this Gael that we've already studied together. The wonderful counselor, mighty God, the prince of peace that's described by Isaiah. And one day... Almost 2,000 years ago, 
a baby was born. I don't know if it was a silent night, but I know it was a holy night. The Savior of the world was born and it was announced by a multitude of angels. Do you remember what they said? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. You see, the Prince of Peace had come. The end. <laughs> now, now, I suspect if I stopped right there, you'd be kind of unsatisfied with this message. Right? Because I, we talk about the Prince of Peace coming, but where is this peace that we expect to be here? 2,000 years. Right? Your challenges would probably be from one of two angles about this not being peace. First, where's the peace on earth? The town where Jesus was born was a little town called Bethlehem, some five miles south of Jerusalem. This fulfilled the prophecy recorded in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, about 700 years before the babe was born. And because you know that the angel announced the peace, you might think that the location of the Savior's birth might be one of the greatest places of peace on earth, right? It's not. You see, it's located in the West Bank area on the land on the west side of Jordan, currently controlled by the Palestinians. And let's be honest, the West Bank is where few people go to have a nice, relaxing vacation of peace. It's not quite a vacation spot. But many people want peace, even in the West Bank. Now, here's more of the photo that I took when I was there a few years ago. A dove with an olive branch is a common symbol for peace. But in Bethlehem, it's pictured here with a bulletproof vest and a target drawn on its chest. Where's the peace? You see, the peace that you're asking for, the peace that you want, is not here yet. It's going to come, but it's not here yet. It's still to come. And it will be here during that thousand-year reign and then forevermore after the devil and his followers have been thrown into the fire that never ends. The peace you long for, it's coming. But it's definitely not here yet. And it will be unity. It will be complete. And still there's another miraculous peace that has come. Imagine that thief on the cross hanging next to Jesus He's crucified, being hung there in pain. And he turns to the Savior and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus looks at him, says, assuredly, I tell you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Do you think that thief felt peace? I do. Were the nails removed? No. Was he still going to die on that cross? Yeah. But the peace was there. There is a peace that's available to believers, a contentment, a peace that the world knows nothing about. And it's not depending on the circumstances. You can be in a tough place in your life and still know the peace of God. Peace is impossible without Jesus. I say this because the effect of sin is just that bad. 
There is no reconciliation with God without Jesus. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and there's only one name that's given under heaven among which men might be saved. That's Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on that cross, the penalty that we earned for sin was fully satisfied, completely. It was not just a down payment. It wasn't a partial payment. You were not put on layaway. I'm wondering if the young people even know what layaway is. You see, Jesus fully paid the price that you owed, your very life. And because the, peace was pay, uh, the price was paid, you can have peace with God forever. And did you know that forever has already started? Jesus satisfies the judgment for a sin, every sin that you've ever committed. Every sin that you've yet to commit is also satisfied. The judgment is satisfied. How do I know? Because Jesus died on that cross before you were even born. You see, this is the way that God has planned everything for us to be freed up. He's got you covered. There is a peace that's available. The second reason why you might object to Jesus being the Prince of Peace would come out of Jesus' own words, his own mouth. In Luke chapter 12, verse 51 to 53, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Okay, so what's that all about? What's that all about? Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Jesus didn't come to give peace on earth the way we normally think of peace on earth. He will do that when he comes back again. But as, as his first coming, he says this, from now, for from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So what's this all about? Where's the peace? Amos 3.3 rhetorically asks, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Every person is born committed to doing their own thing in life. Every single one of us. This is the result of our sin nature. Now, some of us come to faith in Christ and are saved, but others have yet to turn themselves to Christ. And they're still committed to their own thing. And I believe that God wants every person to be saved and come to faith in him, but some have not yet done this. This creates division, doesn't it? Jesus knew that would happen. But you see, he doesn't want us to compromise our walk just because there's division within the home. He wants us to be fully committed to him. He knew he wants, he wants us to be different from the world, turning to our Savior with our whole hearts. He is warning us that there will be division, certainly with our neighbors in this world, and sometimes even with our own families. But let that division not stop us from coming to him and receiving his free gift of peace with the Father. When we make peace with God, we begin to make peace with others. You see, God's desire is for our families to be live in unity as we serve him together. But it begins in our own hearts, doesn't it? With us. When we have this peace, this peace 
then we can start making this peace. He has called us to be different from this world. He has called us to be committed to him. And I pray that you and your families find the peace of God that he has so freely given to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know this peace? Do you know the peace that God gives? Where regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's going on in life, you know it's all right. He's got you covered. You've not been forgotten. You've not been left aside. He's got your back. And he's out in front of you. You know this peace? You see, God's inviting you to know this peace. God is inviting you and your whole family to know this peace. And it takes, all it takes is to realize that Jesus really is the Prince of Peace, the Savior of soul. And then to submit to him. When we submit to him and God starts moving in our lives, you start seeing things, you start experiencing things. You start having the joy that there are no words for. That's what God desires for us, is this peace, for the peace is come to us from God. He'll give you peace. He'll give you rest. He'll give you a rewarding and rich life forever. It's all yours to all who humble themselves and come to him. Perhaps you've heard this message, you're not sure, or you know that this is, you don't know this peace. And maybe you've never received what Jesus has come to offer. And you've known that strife. You know the, the troubling within your soul. Today could be the day that you meet the Prince of Peace. That you enter into a relationship that changes your eternity. You, you move your eternal address from there to heaven. Today could be that day. Or, or perhaps you're someone who's given your life to the Lord, but maybe for a while it's, you don't, still don't know the peace because you've kind of lived your own way. God is calling you back today, right now, to enter into that relationship of peace that no matter what happens, you start experiencing the power of God change and move in your life. Or perhaps you have been walking with the Lord, but just today is a real tough time. If you're somebody who's never asked Jesus into your life before, I would ask that you'd stand up. I'd ask that you stand up. And the reason I'm doing this, because I want your good deeds to be shown before med so we can glorify our Father in heaven. If you've never received Christ, stand up. If you have received Christ and you've lacked that peace for these, this time and you want to recommit your life back, stand up. If you're in a place in your life where maybe you're doing fine, but ah, just today there's been some challenges, I would ask that you stand up. And in so doing, what I'm asking you to do is Sure, it's embarrassing. People are going to look at you. But you know what? It's not that way. 
It glorifies God. It glorifies God. Because God wants you to be at peace with him. He humbly gave his life for us. The least we could do is humbly give our stand up for Jesus. I'm watching people stand up. God, you know each one of these. You know their stories. You know their lives. I ask you, dear God, that you give them the peace, that you work in their hearts, that you just remind them right now, tell them right now how much you love them. Just give them a hug, Lord. Encourage them in their walk. Encourage them in their life. Give them strength, Father, to seek out counsel if they need counsel. But Father, I ask, dear God, that you, as they stand here now, that you would forgive their sin if if that's in their heart, Father, as they turn towards you. And that you give them that peace, that confidence. Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for your word I thank you for what you did on the cross. And I thank you for the assurance that what you've done is complete and perfect. And Lord, I thank you for what you've got planned ahead. There's going to be that time where we get to see you face to face and we get to glorify you. And everything that we've ever done, we'll just throw it right back to you and give you all that glory. The Father now, right now we're weak people. I ask for your encouragement that you would just Give us that peace and just remind us how much you love you. Lord, we turn our hearts towards you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.